Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Last Sunday, I mentioned that during this season of Lent, here at Christ Church, we were going to focus in on the way of love. And the way of love are seven practices for a Jesus-centered life. It's a way that we can structure our life to be centered in the way of Jesus. And these seven practices are these. Turn, learn, pray, worship, bless, go, and rest. And last Sunday, we focused in on turn, which is to pause, to listen, and to choose to follow Jesus. And this Sunday, I would like for us to focus in on prayer. And prayer for many of us has probably many, many different ways of, of defining it. And a lot of it is based on the tradition we might have come from, uh, how we were taught to pray, or, or what we think prayer is. And I wanted to offer you what our catechism says about prayer. It says that prayer is responding to God by thought and by deeds, with or without words. It's a response to God the Father through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's, that's a pretty broad term of what, what prayer means. But it also gives and reminds us that there are many kinds of prayers, different types of ways we, we tend to pray. We sometimes pray in adoration. And adoration means lifting up of the heart and of the mind to God, of asking nothing but to enjoy God's presence. Or it could look like praising, when we praise God, when we don't obtain anything from it, but are just drawn to pure praise of the one who created us, of the one who has redeemed us. Or we can also offer thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is offered to God for all the blessings of our lives, for our redemption, and for whatever draws us close to God. Prayer sometimes can also look like penitence when we confess our sins, where we make restitutions, and when we find ways to amend our lives. Prayer can also be an oblation, and what that means, oblation, is an offering of ourselves, of our lives, and of our works, of our work that we do. And we offer it for God's purposes. And the most common ones is intercession and petition. And intercession means that we bring to God the needs of others. For those who ask of, that we pray for them, because maybe they're in a, in a tough spot or, or going through some sort of sickness or difficulty in their lives. And then petition is when we present to God our own needs, that they may be done according to His will. 
And then one we tend to overlook is corporate worship. When we worship in community, when we unite ourselves to others to acknowledge the holiness of God, of His presence, when we come to hear God's word, and then when we offer prayer and when we celebrate the sacraments like we do here at Christ Church. And so these are our kinds of prayers that we usually tend to do. The one I would like to focus in on and the one that I challenge you to practice, especially during Lent, is adoration. To dwell intently with God each day. Yes, share with God the needs of others and your own needs. He's a loving God and, and wants to know that. He wants us to share our desires. But we also need time to get to know the God of whom we ask of. And that requires that we intently just dwell with the Lord. That we spend some time in our day to not ask for anything or expect anything other than to just intentionally dwell with God. And we see that this is a type of prayer that Jesus practiced as well. Jesus practiced prayer he, in, by intercessing, by petition, in corporate worship. But Jesus also, we see from the Gospels, would, would go away after teaching and preaching and healing. And it says that he would go away at times. We get this a few times in the Gospels, where he would go away into the wilderness or the desert or in the mountain to just pray by himself and intentionally just dwell with his heavenly Father. And I like to think that this is why Jesus was never detracted from his mission or from the will of the Father. Jesus' mission was always very clear. And it's because I like to think that he spent so much time with his heavenly Father that he knew his will, his will so well because he dwelled with his heavenly Father, because he took the time to just intentionally be, to be still and to lay silent and to just dwell with his Father in heaven. And in this way, Jesus was never detracted from the will of the Father. And we get, we get this in Mark, in our gospel reading in Mark. Our reading this morning begins with Jesus teaching his disciples that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and then be killed. And afterwards, after three days, be raised again. And it says that he said all of this quite openly. And then Peter takes him aside, and, and we'll get to 
to Peter in a bit, but it says that Peter takes him aside and then he rebukes Jesus for saying this. And he's, he's saying this, he's rebuking Jesus because he's saying this so openly. But the important thing is to see what Jesus does in, in response to that. He turns back to the crowd and looking at his disciples, he rebukes Peter and he says, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And so what's going on here? If you remember from last Sunday, I said that Jesus had faced off with Satan in the desert. And when Jesus leaves, that did not mean that Satan stayed in the desert. As I mentioned last Sunday, from there on now, Jesus will face Satan and the powers and principalities of this world. And we know that because Jesus, as soon as he leaves the desert and goes and teaches at a synagogue, Jesus casts, begins to cast out demons. And so Jesus reveals to us from there on that there's something behind the veil of what we just physically see. There's something working behind the scenes. There's powers and principalities spreading lies and working with the human condition with, the, with, with sin to bring about a world of sin, of death, and of lies. And so what Jesus does is that he begins an attack on that world. What Jesus does is bring God's kingdom into our world, which is the way that it was always supposed to be. And when those two worlds collide, we have to expect that conflict will happen. But the conflict will not come from Jesus' kingdom in, in the way we think. The conflict that will happen, that will be used in an evil way will be from the old world, the world of sin, of death, of lies. Because the old world will use everything it has in its arsenal against what's coming, against the new kingdom that Jesus is bringing, the kingdom of love, of mercy, of forgiveness, of compassion. And it will try to defeat that with raw power, with violence. And Jesus knows this. Which is, why is, which is why he's teaching his disciples what he will have to undergo because of this conflict between these two worlds colliding. Jesus knows that the conflict will entail him to suffer, to be rejected and to be killed. Because that's what the old world has as its arsenal. That's... That's its nuclear weapon, death. It will use death. It will use suffering and rejection 
to try to stamp out the new world, God's kingdom that Jesus is bringing. And Jesus says this quite openly to everyone. But Peter, Peter is, is, a, is a great figure because what the gospel does is use Peter in, sometimes in a way to speak for, for others. And in this way, Peter, what Peter does is, is pretty common among, among all of us, to, to be honest. Because it's, it's only human nature to want to stay away from suffering, rejection, and, and death. There's no way that we ever just walk towards that. We always try to, to stay away from it, to put distance between ourselves and death and suffering and rejection. And so there's that working in Peter, as, as, all, as in all of us. Another factor is that, just, just to give you some context, context, is that no one really knew who the Messiah would be and much less what the Messiah would do or accomplish. Sometimes we tend to think that at this time, Jews just all unified, were unified in, in thinking that the Messiah would come and be some nationalistic um, leader and that Jesus, in failing to do so, is why they don't believe in him being the Messiah. But the truth is that there was many ideas. It was not one unified idea around the Messiah. Some didn't even believe that there was a Messiah or would be a Messiah. And others who did believe that a Messiah would come were not unified in what the Messiah would actually do or accomplish. And so there was a plurality of idea around the Messiah. And so in a way what Jesus is also doing is showing him as Messiah what he would do and what he will accomplish. And so Peter probably has his own idea of what the Messiah should do. And when that doesn't equate with what Jesus is saying, then there's, there's that other factor in Peter of why he rebukes Jesus. You know, we always tend to put God in a box and make God in our own image when it should be us trying to make ourselves into God's image, into Jesus' image. But here, Peter, making Jesus in his own image, because he has his own idea of what the Messiah should do and get accomplished, and his natural reaction of not wanting this Messiah to suffer any rejection or suffering or death, because of the shame that carried with that. Peter naturally rebukes Jesus. And what Jesus does by rebuking Peter is to show that what Peter is doing is actually not so natural as we would like to think. Because what, what Jesus is doing is exposing something to us. 
What Jesus is doing is exposing just how much the old ways, the ways of the old world, the ways of sin, death, and lies and manipulation has taken root of the human heart without us even noticing. Peter is not only acting naturally, but his heart that has been conditioned by the ways of the old world is just beginning to show and Jesus is exposing that. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And remember, Satan means adversary. It means acting against God. What Jesus is showing to Peter is that his words in itself are demonic. By rebuking Jesus, Jesus was going against his Father's will, was going against God's will to show the world what true glory looks like, what true love looks like, and what God is all about. Peter, by boxing Jesus around what he thought Jesus should be and do, making Jesus in his own image, is doing so with a heart that's conditioned to sin, that's conditioned to greed, to raw power, to violence, to revenge. And he's putting all those things on Jesus and allowing that to shape his image of who he thinks Jesus should be. And what Jesus is doing is pointing to Peter that truth. And he's telling him to stop living the ways and thinking in the ways of the old world and to get behind him, to get behind Jesus so that his mind can see what divine things it must be set on and to stop setting his mind on the ways of old. Because Jesus' way looks vastly different from the old ways, the human way, the corrupt way, the sinful way. Because the sinful way, the old way, looks like the kings of the past and emperors who cared not about their people of these mythical gods, Greek gods that we hear about, who used humans as slaves, who didn't care about the human condition or about humans at all. But Jesus' way, Jesus who is God incarnate is not like that and is very unique because what Jesus brings is an upside down kingdom where power does not look like the raw power shown by Caesar, the emperor of the Roman Empire, who showed his power through violence and death. Jesus' power will look vastly different. Jesus' power and his glory and his kingship will require that Jesus undergo suffering, rejection, and being killed by his own people. 
which is a total game changer. And now we understand why Peter's way is not in tune with Jesus' way. And Jesus can stand firm in his way because he has dwelled intentionally with the Father. He has spent time with the Father. And he knows God the Father so intimately. And he walks in step with God so intimately that he knows that this is the only way to show God's glory, God's love, and God's being to the whole world. Jesus knows that he must undergo great suffering, that he must undergo rejection by his own people and be killed. Because in doing so, as he does when he's crucified on the cross, we know that that's where we see God's true glory. That's where we see God's identity. That's where we see the unseeable God at work on the cross. And in every step of the way, Jesus knows that even in the suffering and in the pain and in the rejection and in death, that he would not be alone. That his intimacy with the Father would not change even as he would endure that great suffering, rejection, and death. Brothers and sisters, we have a God who utterly loves us, who wants to be with us, who calls us by name, who asks us to trust in him, to trust in his words that he speaks Is this God who became incarnate in Jesus so that we might see him, so that he might teach his people himself. And it is this God who calls us to just be with him, to just dwell with him, to just be in his presence. And so, brothers and sisters, during this time of Lent, I invite you to be in prayer and when you do your prayer time, whether it's in the morning, midday, or in the evening, to add this practice to your prayer life, take, take five minutes of your day, sometime during the day, to just dwell with God. There's nothing fancy you have to say. There's nothing fancy you have to do. All you have to do is just to recall and if, it, and if it helps, maybe read a, a passage of scripture or, or recite one of your favorite scripture passages or verses. Or just imagine Jesus. Try to see his face as you close your eyes. Or if it helps, bring a crucifix. Or, or an icon of Jesus. Or if you're outside, to just close your eyes 
and be with God in his creation that he has made and feel his hand. The point is to just bring God to your intention and intentionally spend time with him. And again, you don't have to say any fancy words. All you have to do is to spend time with Jesus. God incarnate who loves you and allow his love to embrace you and to comfort you. Allow yourself to hear those words of Jesus that says, I love you. And accept that invitation to say, I love you back. And just dwell with him. Be with him in that love. And again, all it could be up to is five minutes, or if you want to do it more, go ahead. The point is to dwell with the God who became incarnate in Jesus Christ, who was willing to undergo suffering, rejection, and death so that he could show us his way of true love that leads to everlasting life. It is to this God that we pray to. It is to this God who calls you by name to spend time with him. And it is to him we bring all our praise to. May this be the God we honor and praise. In Jesus' name, Amen. Those who delight in you will surely stand. Help me desire only your holy flame.